Move by Mamma Mia is the exercise app for anybody, anywhere. And in case you missed it, we dropped a brand new stretching collection that can be used to improve mobility and bookend your favourite sweat sessions. Mamma Mia subscribers get unlimited access to Move and we drop new workouts every single week. If you're on the hunt for movement that makes you feel good, head to move.mamamia.com.au and use the code MOVE10 to get $10 off a yearly subscription. You're listening to a Mamma Mia podcast. G'day and welcome to That's Incredible, a podcast about the unexpectedly awesome things that are all around us, things you may have never noticed before. And guess what? We are back for season two, and this season, it's all about Australia. I'm Andrew Datto, and this is definitely going to be my favourite episode of That's Incredible. Let's whack on our safari suits and start talking in our best David Attenborough voice because this is the episode of That's Incredible and it's all about Australian animals. What do you mean, who's David Attenborough? That was nearly perfect. In Australia, we do animals the same way we do everything else. No half measures. We have the deadliest snakes. The widest spiders, the biggest man-eating reptiles, even our jellyfish, our jellyfish, they'll give you a hard time. Our earthworms are massive, our cicadas are noisy, we even do cute better than any other country in the planet. Koalas, sugar gliders, quokkas, and wait till you hear about the honey possum. Cute as, well, cute as a honey possum. The name says it all. And it's weird. You could lick a cane toad and not dream up some of the weird things we've got lurking in this land of ours. And don't get me started on sandworms. They're the best for bait. And that's about it. And please don't lick a cane toad. That kind of thing never ends well. Our animals, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, are out there. And they are out there. See them? Where you're looking now? That's where they are. Wait till you wrap your ears around this episode of That's Incredible and our incredible storyteller. It's Robert Irwin. He grew up in a zoo surrounded by our crazy native fauna. He's only 17 and already an accomplished wildlife photographer. Well, who doesn't like taking photos of their pets? Crikey! What are we waiting for? Our cast of kids with a pouch full of fun facts are a hop, skip, and because this is Australia, another hop away. That's incredible. Misubials did not evolve in Australia. What? You're kidding me, but it's true. Marsupials were around for 70 million years before the first one even set foot in Australia. They first evolved in what is now known as North America and made their way to South America and then as the land masses drifted closer together, they came to Australia, as any furball with half a brain would. There's still one species of possum that lives in North America and yes, it's trying to get here. Australia used to have a two-metre-tall wombat that weighed three tonnes. Incredible. They were called Diptrododon, Diptrodons, Diptrobodon, 
Strober to Dipman. Chip. Hey, kids, help us. Diprotodons. Thank you very much. They were big, so they didn't need to dig burrows to live in. They just lie on top of the ground and say things like, I dare you to eat me. It's exactly how they spoke. Some people believe the legend of the bunyip is based on diprotodons because they lived in swamps and went extinct with the first human arrival in Australia. Mumbats can eat up to 20,000 termites in a day. Numbats are the only marsupials that sleep in the nighttime and are awake during the day because daytime is the only time termites come out of their nests. They are the closest living relative to the extinct thylacine. Some suspected sightings of thylacines might actually be numbats because they both have stripes on their back. What's a thylacine? Oh, stay there and wait for it. The thylacine is coming. Thylacines could hop like a kangaroo. Tasmanian tigers, or thylacines, had back legs which were longer than their front legs. To get away from danger, they would hop a few steps before starting to run on all fours. The last known thylacine died over 80 years ago, but there have been a lot of unconfirmed sightings since then. A poo found in Tasmania in 2017 was tested by scientists and was found to have been dropped by an animal with DNA similar to a numbat. But that is the closest living animal to the thylacine. Echidnas like the sunbeam. Echidnas have the lowest body temperature of any mammal at just 32 degrees Celsius. People have seen echidnas lying stretched out in the morning sun with their spines lifted to let the warmth in. Echidnas also have the world's largest fleas at around 4 millimetres in length. Imagine how hard it would be to scratch yourself with fleas when you're covered in those big sharp spines. There used to be an Australian frog that grew babies in its stomach and gave birth through its mouth. Ew! <laughs> disgusting and disgustingly true. Scientists are trying to bring it back to life so they can go, that's disgusting. No, they're not. It's because it's amazing. It was called the gastric brooding frog and it went extinct in the 1980s. But scientists are using DNA from old frog remains they found in a freezer to try and make some fresh embryos. Hang on a second, that reminds me of a film called Jurassic Park. And I don't remember that ending well. You're flocking this way. A big crest on a cassowary's head is used to keep them cool on a hot day. It's called a cask, and the cassowary can pump extra blood through it to cool itself down in summer. Cask used to be a word for a helmet in medieval times. Cassowaries are good fighters and can tear open their enemies by jumping up and slashing them with their giant claws. Actually, they're better than good fighters. They're terrifying, but in a beautiful way. Honey possums pollinate flowers just like bees. All right, this is one of those weird Australian quirks, like calling a redhead bluey. Though honey possums are marsupials, they aren't possums and they do not eat honey. They're the only marsupials that eat only plant nectar. And they're less than 10 centimetres long and have a tongue that's a quarter the length of their body. 
Without honey possums to spread their pollen, some plant species would die out. They're only found in Western Australia and they are unbearably cute. Not sure I could eat a whole one. No, that's a joke. I'm joking. I could easily eat a whole one. Pearlfish live inside the bombs of sea cucumbers. <laughs> First of all, how glad are you that you're not a sea cucumber or a pearlfish? The not particularly fussy pearlfish likes to make its home inside the anus of other marine animals, such as sea cucumbers. They burrow in either face or tail first and then emerge at night to feed. The record number of pearlfish living inside one sea cucumber is 15. I don't know who measured that. Australian animals, what can you say? Dialing up the weird to 11? Imagine being a real estate agent for a pearlfish looking for a new butt to call home. Yeah. You know what they say about real estate? Location, location, location. That's incredible. Other than in Willy Wonka's chocolate factory or on a unicorn farm, every kid's dream place to grow up would have to be the zoo. You go out the back door, you tap the cat food tin with a tin opener, and instead of a little kitty-witty cat, up runs a Bengal tiger. It does sound pretty cool. Today's incredible storyteller is Robert Irwin, and he grew up on the grounds of the family zoo on the Sunshine Coast. G'day and welcome to Australia Zoo. My mum and dad built the zoo from a tiny little reptile park to what it is today. Isn't it incredible? At only 17 years old, he's already an award-winning wildlife photographer. Go to his website, check out his face-to-face photo of a snake with its tongue out. That shot came runner-up in Australian Geographic's Nature Photo of the Year. I'm guessing the award-winning photo was taken from inside a snake. Meet Robert and prepare to be astounded. G'day, I'm Robert Irwin and I live and work at Australia Zoo. I would describe myself as a wildlife conservationist and wildlife warrior. I've grown up right here in this beautiful animal sanctuary with my family, learning everything there is to know about wildlife. And it's made me really passionate about protection and preservation of our gorgeous animals that we share the world with. The incredible animals that I'm going to be talking to you today about are my two favourites, koalas and crocodiles. The first time I met a koala, I was very, very young. So Australia Zoo, we've actually been working with the breeding program with koalas for many, many years. And I actually remember there's a photo of the first time I ever met a koala. I was with my dad and he was holding me and the koala and we've kind of come head to head. And I'm looking at the koala and that koala's looking at me and we're both just as interested in one another. And I was tiny. I wouldn't have even been two years old, but I have a lot of distant memories with dad and with koalas. And I just absolutely love them. 
The feeling of actually holding a koala is quite interesting because they hold you more than you hold them. Basically, what you do is you sort of let that koala come to you, you hold them on your chest and they'll sort of cling on around your shoulders and then all you do is sort of support their weight just like a little baby, but they do all the work because they think you're a tree. So they actually have an amazing grip strength, really sharp little claws and they just hang on and give you the, the best little cuddle. There's no better feeling than cuddling a koala. And honestly, they love it. When Australia Zoo shut down during COVID, we were shut for about 78 days and it was a pretty tough time. But it was quite funny because you'd walk through the zoo, there were no guests coming through, it was just our keepers. And so we weren't able to spend as much time cuddling koalas and there were some of them that you'd walk past the koala trees and they would be reaching down out of the trees with their arms out saying, please hug me. <laughs> so it was really special when people finally came back and they could get all of the cuddles that they need because they love it just as much as we do. Some of my favourite facts about koalas, well, there's two really interesting ones. One that you would probably already know, but that's the fact that they're a marsupial. Did you know a little baby koala, when it's first born, it's tiny. It's the size of a jelly bean and they're completely helpless. They've got no fur. They're just this little bean and they have to actually basically cling to life in this little tiny pouch. They're completely protected. They'll find the mother's teat and they'll start to suckle and start to grow. And then as they grow bigger and bigger and bigger, eventually they'll actually get fur and start to look like a koala. And at that point, they'll come out of that pouch and they'll start climbing on their mother's back and learning how to feed and forage like a koala should. The second fact that I think is really cool is that koalas actually have two thumbs. Isn't that crazy? So they have three normal fingers and then at the end, they've got two separate thumbs. And so what that does is it makes it really easy for them to climb because of course they live strictly in the trees and so they have to be great at climbing. So they have two thumbs so that they can grip branches really well and then also those really nice sharp claws help them cling on. So those would be my two favorite facts. I think it's pretty cool. What koalas get up to day to day is pretty consistent throughout their whole life and that's two things, sleeping and eating. They've got a very, very good life. They have it made. Koalas will spend almost all of their life in the trees and way up the top of the big eucalyptus trees, there's very little that can harm them so they can live a pretty peaceful existence. They can sleep upwards of 20 hours in a single day and the rest of that time they'll be searching for leaf. They are very picky eaters though. Koalas will usually look for the best and freshest leaf and they only like certain species. And of course, the reason why they sleep so much is because of what they eat. If you imagine a eucalyptus leaf, it's not exactly a high protein diet. They don't have a lot of energy and so they have to conserve that and nap all the time. So yeah, it's a pretty good life. Sometimes I'm a little bit jealous of them. <laughs> Koalas are a very cute and cuddly animal and here at Australia Zoo, when you come in, you can actually meet them, you can cuddle them, you can give them a pad and you can experience them and it's really special. However, in the wild, it's a little bit of a different story. They are actually pretty feisty animals. If you get one that's firing on all cylinders, maybe a big adult male who's really grumpy and you try to give him the pad or try to pick him up, he will give you a really, really good go. So it's always best, as with really any wild animal, try and give them as much space as you can.
first time I met a crocodile, I think it would actually be probably my earliest memory that I can actually cognitively think of was on a crocodile research trip. Every year we go up to Northern Australia to research saltwater crocodiles in their natural environment. And we've been doing this since I was really, really young. And so one of my first croc trips, I was about two years old and it was with mum and dad and my sister. And we caught this beautiful little female croc. Now, what dad would do with crocs is he'd actually catch them, he'd trap them, wild crocodiles, take them out of the traps. And then working with universities and scientific organisations, he'd actually attach satellite trackers, acoustic trackers, which are these little kind of pinging devices that go just under their skin. And he'd take, you know, morphometrics, which basically just how long they are, and all of these interesting things that he'd do. And then he'd release them back into the wild and so something we do to this day but I remember my first croc that I was ever involved with it was about an eight foot long female crocodile and it was at Lakefield National Park way up north and I remember he said Bindi my sister Robert it's your turn to jump and so we all actually worked together to jump on this croc and hold it down so we could do all the research then let it go again and I took it very seriously. Obviously, he put me at the very end on the tail because I was only two years old. So it was pretty fun. And it's the most vivid memory I have of my very early childhood. Crocodiles, the way they feel is very, very strange. You know, if you look at a croc, they kind of just look like this big, gnarly dinosaur. You know, they look real tough and a little bit scary to some people. But when you get up close to them, you can see that there's a lot more to them than meets the eye. So on top, on their back and along their head, it is very rough. It's rock hard. It honestly feels like a boulder. It feels like armor plate. And that is what protects a croc from an attack from another croc, basically. They'll fight a lot. The big males are constantly fighting with one another for territory and they have to be tough. They've got to have a real thick skin on top so that they don't get any big injuries. But if you feel underneath the croc, along their legs, along their belly, even underneath their tail, it's actually incredibly soft. It feels like all squishy, like a little marshmallow. It's really hard to describe, but until you feel like an alligator or a croc under their little legs, it's just amazing. They're real soft, real squishy, and they almost feel kind of delicate. It's weird. And sometimes when we do this work with crocs and we'll catch a croc and it's very dangerous and you'll have them, you're about to release them back into the wild. And sometimes you've got to take a minute to just squish their little legs before you let them go because it's the coolest thing ever. It's so squishy and cute. I don't know, I think they like it. (laughs) Most people, when they see a croc, they wouldn't really want anything to do with them. And that's fair enough. What I do with crocs is definitely not something that I would advocate anyone else does unless you have a lot of experience. I started working with crocs when I was one month old. My dad took me in and fed a crocodile with me and it was all over the news. So I've had a lot of experience with them, but out in the wild, they're definitely an animal that you don't want to go anywhere near. You just want to give them that space. But you don't have to hate them. You don't have to think that they're these evil, ugly monsters that are just going around eating everyone. And unfortunately, a lot of people have this fear and this almost kind of hatred towards crocs because they're these really big predators. But to be honest, when you learn about them, when you get to be around them a little bit and figure out how they work, 
you really can't help but just fall in love with them and have a lot of respect for them, I think. Because the more you understand, the more you realize that they're actually a very misunderstood creature. Crocs are very smart. They have what's called a cerebral cortex. Basically, that means their brain is built the same as humans. So they can think, they can remember, they can problem solve just like we do. They're also very loving towards one another. Males, not so much. They don't really like each other. But if you get a male and a female, we've actually got a few crocs here at the zoo that are almost like a little married couple. There's a pair named Akko and Cassie, a male and a female, and they're like this beautiful old married couple, like your grandma and grandpa, you know? They just sort of love each other to the end, and they're just very funny. They often get into their little fights, and they're always bickering, but they really do love one another. They're not an animal to be afraid of, but they're definitely an animal to, to love and respect. Did you know that crocodiles have three to 5,000 pounds per square inch of closing jaw pressure. So that means when their jaws come together, when they close their mouth and their teeth interlock, basically that's 3,000 pounds per square inch of force coming together. So to give you an idea, that's the same as the brakes in a jumbo jet, in a massive airline plane. When they brake and they have to lock up the wheels, it's the same amount of pressure. They've got the strongest jaws of any animal in the entire world. Did you know crocodiles can hold their breath for almost eight hours. Eight hours, they can stay underwater without making a motion, without even moving for eight hours. And we have a hunch it might be even longer because our research project in conjunction with the University of Queensland is the most extensive in history. And we were the first to actually record dive times of over seven hours. And we've had a couple recordings that we think may be pushing towards the 10 hour mark. I can't confirm or deny them yet, but I reckon it's even more than eight hours, but I think that's pretty cool. My dad was definitely, I reckon, the most passionate and enthusiastic person in the entire world. And I think a lot of that has rubbed off on me and, and on the whole team that gets to work with Crocs here at the zoo. He was not only the most energetic and just bull at a gate, 100 mile an hour type of person, but he was also the top mind in croc science. He was actually a professor. He received an honorary professorship for his work, and he was really the leading voice in croc conservation and in croc science. He started working with crocs when he was just a little bit older than me, in his early 20s, and he was part of what was called the East Coast Croc Management Program with the government. And that was back in the day that we thought we could actually relocate crocs back then, that you could take a problem croc that was maybe getting a little bit too close to people and move them. We now know that that doesn't work because they'll just go back to that same spot thanks to dad's later research. But at that time, he would go in and either move these crocs or rescue them. Often, a croc would start taking people's livestock, taking their sheep or cows, or maybe even endangering human life. They were getting a little bit too close for comfort. People were actually going out and they were going to shoot these crocs. And dad couldn't have that. He did not want to see these beautiful big crocodiles shot and killed. He wanted to go out there and save them. And so a lot of the original crocs that you see here at the zoo, like Akko, Agro, these big males were actually rescued from the wild. But he'd rescue them, he'd take them back to the zoo. He built these beautiful big ponds for them so that they could live a really happy and healthy life. And so it was a lot more than just the passion and enthusiasm that he had. He also cared so deeply about protecting crocs, learning about them, and then sharing that knowledge with everyone. 
Isn't Robert brilliant? If I was an endangered Australian animal, I'd sleep safer knowing that Robert Irwin has got my back. And now I don't expect anyone listening to this podcast to know as much about Australian animals as Robert. Granted, I don't know how many of you actually grew up living in a zoo. There might be quite a lot of you. But let's put what you've learned today to the test. We're going to play a little game of I Spy. And you know how this works, right? It's a quiz. Everyone listening is playing. Good luck. You ready? I spy with my little eye something beginning with W. It's the answer to the question. The Diprotodon is a two-metre-tall prehistoric ancestor to which modern-day marsupial? Yes, you got it! It begins with W, and it's a wombat. A three-ton wombat. Which begs the question, what does a three-ton wombat do at a party? Anything it likes. (laughs) Dad joke! Next question. I spy with my little eye something beginning with T. A koala has two of these on each paw. What is it? Yes, it's thumbs. Six thumbs per koala. So two on each hand, even though they're not really called hands, they're paws, and one on each foot. So that's two, four, six. Hey, koala, how's it going in there? And they go, all good, and give you six thumbs up. Next up, oh, wow, what's that? This is the next question. I spy with my little eye something beginning with M. The gastric brooding frog gives birth through their mouths. Call me old-fashioned. I'm not sure I'd like to burp and then suddenly give birth. Now, this is a difficult question, okay? So just wait till the end of it. I spy with my little eye something beginning with T. Numbats eat 20,000 of these a day. What are they? Yes, termites. Well done. Numbats eat 20,000 termites a day. What do you reckon the hardest part of that would be? Plating them up. You know, like on MasterChef, you've got your 20,000 termites and then a smear of jus, some sweet potato, and the judge is going, try and control your termites. They're running everywhere. I know, get on with it. And this is our last question, so it could be a tiebreaker. I spy with my little eye something else beginning with E. It's a monotreme, and this spiky customer has the world's biggest fleas. It's the echidna, of course. It's ironic, really. They gobble up thousands of insects a day and in return get bitten by another insect. That's karma for you. A monotreme, by the way, is an egg-laying mammal. There are only two types of monotreme. The echidna is one of them. The platypus is the other. I don't know how big their fleas are. So how did you go? Did we get a winner in the car or we were just playing for fun, weren't we? Because it doesn't matter who wins, it's just that we're all involved. Do you reckon you've got what it takes to be a wildlife photographer like Bob Irwin? Here's what we would love you to do. We want you to take a photo of an Australian animal in the wild and send it to us. The important part of this activity is the in the wild part. So technically, your dog is an Australian animal and he's probably as photogenic as all get out. But we're talking about a proper wildlife photography photograph. 
It could be a koala up in a tree, a really cool-looking insect that's landed on your finger, or that 10-metre-high magpie from Gippsland that's just flown off with your big brother in its beak. Send us that photo. So that's incredible. If it happens to be a thylacine, you might want to send it to the museum as well and try and remember exactly where you took the photo. People will want to know. And most of all, thanks for taking a walk on the wild side with me today. My name's Andrew Datto. I'll see you next time. Mamma Mia acknowledges the traditional owners of the land we have recorded this podcast on, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We pay our respects to their elders, past and present, and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures.